0: So forgive me for making you travel all the way out here. But when someone rings me up and says he wants to dispute the most significant event in human history, I feel it's important that we do it face to face. Don't you? Yeah, that's fine. I, uh, I I appreciate your time. You're right. Uh, so we're uh, just doing some research on the effect of stress on the hormone levels in mice, which is an ongoing project of ours. But I assure you, you shall have my undivided attention. <clears throat>
1: Okay, I'm, then I'm just going to jump right in. Um, so my line of attack is this. The reason the eyewitnesses were able to see Jesus after Golgotha is because he never died on the cross.
0: Because if he doesn't die, there's no resurrection. Right?
1: That's right. So, so whether or not Jesus himself or, uh, or if someone else took him off of the cross early or if he fakes his own death, it doesn't matter. It completely discounts every aspect of the resurrection. Right, the swan theory. Yeah, but he
0: passed out. He didn't die. I'm afraid there's a long line of skeptics in front of you with that hypothesis.
1: Including only a billion Muslims the world over who also don't believe that Jesus
0: died on the cross because the Quran says so. so with all due respect to Islam, the Quran was written six centuries after Christ. I prefer my historical sources a bit closer to actual I understand, but, but, yeah. but
1: you concede that it's
0: possible. Uh, Mr. Strobel, I am... I'm a medical doctor and a scientist. I have seen a great many strange phenomena in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. But the swim theory is rubbish.
1: <laughs> rubbish. That's, uh, is that a, a medical opinion? <laughs> you
0: know, it is, actually. Um, swim theorists tend to skim over the fact that Jesus was flogged prior to his crucifixion. Do you know what happens in a room in flogging? Um, yeah, the person is lashed with a whip. No, not lashed. Scourged and pummeled savagely. You see, the, the gallied whip is braided with metal balls and bone fragments. The flesh on Jesus' back would have been shredded. The very muscles and sinews themselves laid open to exposure. The flogging itself would have left Jesus in critical condition for massive blood loss. Which is why... He collapsed on the way to the cross that the woman's made him carry through town. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: so is it possible that Jesus survives being spiked to the cross?
0: Oh, yes, you could survive it, but it's child's play compared to what comes next in a crucifixion. Slow, agonizing death by asphyxiation. <sighs> Mr. Strober, the crucifixion of Jesus is one of the best attested events in the ancient world. There is no historical evidence of anyone anywhere ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Oh. And if you will, the final nail in the coffin this <laughs> theory is this. When the soldiers thrust their spear between Jesus' ribs, do you know what came out? Blood and water. Which we now know is a description of pericardial effusion as a result of death by asphyxiation. And this is not a condition anyone could fake. And so to answer your question, yes, it is my medical opinion that Jesus Christ died on that cross. Doctor?
1: But, but, but I, gotta, I have a real problem with most of the experts that I've talked to here. Which is? Which is that most of them are not impartial. And if I'm going to take a guess, I would say that
0: you are not either. And you would be correct, sir. I have learned that most impartial travelers who undertake this journey rarely remain so. However, I can refer you to one of the most impartial sources that I know. Would you trust the Journal of the American Medical Association? Of course, it is a stellar
1: scientific journal, and I will admit that. On the physical death of Jesus... Mm-hmm. Clearly the weight of the medical and historical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. Doc, I got to tell you, you're, uh, you're not telling me what I hope to hear today.
2: are in the second week of this four week series on the case for christ and you know i s- said last week that the movie is showing only in a couple theaters only to dif- discover on tuesday that it's right down here on jc uh the jc three theater on helmer so uh i checked it's going to be showing uh during the days for the rest of this week so if you want to get down there did anybody go see it this week all right chris good awesome um, so the story is about this young atheist named Lee Strobel investigating the claims for Christianity, only he's not set out to prove Christianity. Rather, he he's trying to make a case against Christianity and against Christ and in the hope of rescuing his wife, Leslie, who had recently become a follower of Jesus Christ. And in the process, he read, he researched, he inter- did interviews like the one we just saw, Uh, And this was all in the age before the internet. And his search turned into almost a two-year spiritual journey as he faced a lot of setbacks and challenges along the way. And and as you saw in this video clip, he really didn't want to believe the evidence, what the evidence was revealing. And he strongly was resisting this because his starting place was a place of unbelief. And the, the fact of the matter is, that he didn't want Christianity to be true. And he had kind of a sticking point in his spiritual pursuit. And the, this is true for other people well, as well. He's not the only one. And it's likely that you know someone who is spiritually stuck and they either don't want to believe or they can't intellectually reason themselves uh, to faith. So today we're going to look at a biblical example of someone who's spiritually stuck and then talk about some barriers that we're likely to encounter today as well. So this story is found in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. And this is after Jesus' resurrection that we talked about last week. And the disciples uh, have begun, because of persecution in Jerusalem, to move out away from Jerusalem to take that message even further out. And so uh, this story is about a... a a follower of Jesus named Philip. He wasn't one of the original apostles. But uh, an angel came to him and presents him with this challenging request. He says, go south on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And um, he doesn't explain why. He just tells him, go, start going down this road. And he goes out. And as he does that, he sees a carriage going down the road. And in the carriage is an Ethiopian official. He's basically the equivalent of our Secretary of the Treasury today, only he is working for the Queen of Ethiopia. So he's gone up to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's returning. And according to verse 28, uh, he's seated in the carriage, and he's reading aloud from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And so the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go to that chariot and stay Near it. So he's running along following this moving chariot. And this is what uh, we pick up in Acts 8, verses 30 and 31. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him which was probably a relief if you're running along beside a chariot. But uh, I'd want to get in, I know. (laughs) Although I was just telling Abby, no, (laughs) I needed to exercise more. Uh, So anyway, so he's on this journey, and he's literally coming back from worshiping in Jerusalem. So he was seeking to know God by making a physical journey, but he was also on a spiritual journey as he's trying to understand these scriptures. But he's reached a sticking point. He, he can't understand it without somebody explaining it to him. And often this happens with people who are feeling drawn to God. They're on this journey um, towards God, but they will sometimes hit some kind of a barrier. There's an issue, an objection, a question, a concern that blocks their progress towards knowing Christ. Um, maybe that's where, where you are today. And so we're going to talk about four of the most common spiritual sticking points that people come up against when they're investigating the case for Christ. And maybe these are barriers for you, and this message will be helpful to you, but um, maybe it's a barrier that you see in someone else's life, and you'll be able to help them get past that. So the first point is, I can't believe, and Forrest is going to talk about that.
3: Okay, the I can't believe uh, barrier is basically intellectual doubts. It's people that, because of their experiences or their training or upbringing, have questions or objections where they just can't get past that hurdle. The problem of evil. Why do bad things happen to good people? That whole separation between science and faith. I thought science disproved all that. Um, That materialistic worldview that says... The real stuff that we can see, hear, touch, taste, and feel, that's all there is. There isn't anything outside of that. And so these intellectual doubts um, keep people from really even investigating faith because they don't see how we can get past that hurdle. This is something as I just don't understand how God could, could do this, could be there, could be involved. So they've got an intellectual problem with it. Now, we're not going to be able to address all these different kinds of intellectual doubts that there are because I already talked too long anyway, and if I was trying to cover more information, you know, I would never get done. But we, we can look at these as what they have in common. There's a doubt. They have a doubt about God's goodness, God's love, or God's existence. They just have something. I didn't do that. Um, where they're doubting... God and His goodness and His power. So, what do we do when we have doubts? You've got something that this is a huge question. I don't know what to do with it. What do we do if we have a big question? Oh, well, we could investigate, or we could just avoid it, right? But if you are seriously seeking, you're going to investigate. Okay, I have this this problem, this question. Let's find the answer to that question. So, we've got some examples in the Bible. Um, The 12 spies, when the Israelites went back to the promised land, they were going to check it out. The 12 spies went in to check out the land. And 10 of the spies saw, oh, it's beautiful land. Everything's great. But there are giants here, and they're going to kill us. And I know God promised it to us, but I don't think that's going to work. So they doubted that God was going to be able to bring them into the land that he promised that they could go into. And then we go on down to Abraham. 100 years old, doesn't have a child. God promises him you're going to have a child and the whole nation is going to be based on you. And he doubts whether or not that can happen. Moses, a huge doubter. He doubted that he could do the job. He doubted that Pharaoh would listen to him. He doubted that the Israelite people would listen to him. Right down to the point where he told God, can't you please just send somebody else? So he doubted God's call in his life. And then you go on to David, Solomon, There's an endless list. People have doubts. We all have doubts. Anybody that's a thinking person would get up against something and is like, well, yeah, I believe, but what about that? And I'm sure all of you in in reading the Bible have come up against something where you're like, huh? I don't get that. that. That doesn't seem to make any sense. I don't understand. So we all have those things where we have questions. If Christianity was limited to only people that didn't have any doubts We wouldn't be here today because you wouldn't be able to get enough people together to be able to actually have a worship service because that would be a very limited number of people that never have a doubt. So um, if we're seriously seeking, asking those questions, investigating, we will find the answer. Um, It's kind of like in school. um, As a teacher for many years, I loved it when we got to that point where the light came on in a kid's mind. Where they struggle, they struggle, they struggle. I just don't get it. I don't understand. And you work and you work and you work until they finally understand. And then, bingo, the light comes on. Do you know the light comes on, right? Yeah. And you know how you can tell? Because the kid looks around at everybody else and says, how can you not get this? It's so simple. And then I tell the kid, yeah, two minutes ago, you didn't get it either. So... Once we find the answer, ah, there it is. I get it now. So we live for that moment where we can have our questions answered and then we can move on to faith. Um, Doubting Thomas is a perfect example. You remember his story? One of Jesus' followers, one of the disciples, Jesus dies, he knows he's dead, and he simply can't believe that the stories that he's risen again. And he says, until I... Put my fingers into the the nail prints in his hand stick, my hand into his side. I can't believe. Did he have an intellectual problem? A question? Some A hurdle that he didn't think he... Dead people don't come back to life, and he struggled with that. And then here it is. We pick it up. Um, he comes, Jesus appears to him, and Jesus said, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Stop doubting And believe. And here the light comes on. My Lord and my God, Thomas explained. Who was Jesus before this when he was alive? My teacher, my rabbi. What is he now? My Lord, my God. Okay. Was that just a little light that came on? No. Huge spotlights and the angel choruses singing, right? This is an awesome moment for Thomas. And then Jesus follows up with, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me, that don't have to have that kind of evidence. What if Jesus had sent a message with somebody else? Tell Thomas, stop doubting and believe. (laughs) Is that going to get it? No. Thomas had to have that proved to him. He needed the evidence. He needed to investigate. And when he investigated, bingo! There's the light. So um, let me—I got to catch up with. Okay. So um, this doesn't mean that we have to check our brains at the church door, does it? No. no. God welcomes your doubts and your questions. He invites them. So, what about the whole science and faith thing? What about facts versus speculations? Um, Actually, uh, I did the series on creation and evolution, and a lot of that pertains here because the new discoveries in science in cosmology, astronomy, physics, chemistry, archaeology, biology, nanotechnology, which is something you didn't hear about 20 years ago, um, micro machines inside the cells, okay, that's something that we're just recently discovering. All those are increasingly pointing in the direction of God and belief in the Bible. They're not contradicting. They actually are going along the lines that Christians have always been following. I mean, when you talk about the Big Bang Theory, oh, the universe isn't always existing. It had a starting point when it started. And when you look at the first and second laws of thermodynamics, of the creation of all energy and matter, and then the law of entropy, how things are... Are running downhill. That goes exactly with what the Bible says. It was created. It's had an existence. It's running down and wearing out. And that's just the way the Bible describes it. So, um, in Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Faith, not The Case for Christ, his other The Case for book, he quoted the science named James Tour. He was the head of the Nanoscience Center at Rice University. And this doctor, this scientist, said, I build molecules for a living. I can't begin to tell you how difficult that job is to build molecules. And yet, wait a minute, what's everything made out of? Molecules. Everything. Molecules. So he's got this incredibly difficult job building molecules. He said, I stand in awe of God because what he's done through creation, only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say that science takes away from faith. If you really study science, it will bring you closer To God. So, a lot of people who believe science has has put the nail in the coffin of Christianity actually are people that don't do science. They heard about science from somebody, somebody taught them something, they learned it when they were in school, and they don't really know a lot, but they have doubts based on very little evidence. We did some of that in the Creation Evolution series. Um, So, the bottom line what do we do with our questions? And it's another scripture from Matthew 7 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I want you to do a little work here as your homework. You got that verse in your message notes? Underline, please. Will be given. Does it say might be given? Does it say could be given? Does it say maybe? No. For everyone who asks will be given. And underline will find. Seek and you will find. And then underline will be opened. Knock and the door will be opened. And then circle because I've got tired of underlining Every one. Who that seeks or asks, receives? Every single one. If you sincerely ask, if you sincerely seek, if you sincerely knock, every single one will be answered. No question. But is it going to be easy? No. That searching, especially if you have a big question. Big questions require big answers. And you're going to have to do some, some struggling with it. You're going to have to go out there and find information. Um, if you have any questions, Peggy and I are willing to, to talk to you about it. If you have specific things you're looking for, uh, a couple of places you might look. One that I really like is called the Discovery Institute. You can look online, and they've got a ton of stuff. Um, you can also go to the Institute for Creation Research, Answers in Genesis, and for a little more out there, Reasons to Believe. Hugh Ross is challenging to me, but he's got some interesting takes on stuff. But Discovery Institute's one that I really, really like, and it gives me a lot of the answers that I look for. So that's all I have to say about that. Okay. <laughs> hey, it's not 10 o'clock, yet. Yeah?
2: All right. Then the second sticking point is, I don't want to believe. You know, and, and most people aren't going to come right out and say, I don't want to believe. Uh, yet this is a barrier there, that stops many people. Have you ever talked to somebody and um, who's just not interested in hearing about God? You've invited them to church or you've tried to share the reasons that, you know, have convinced you that Christ is who he said he is, but they just don't want to hear about it. And at, at some of the time this can be an intellectual sticking point. Then other times it's uh, a moral issue that gets in the way of people's spiritual journey. And the true sticking point is not a knowledge problem, it's a lifestyle problem. John 3.19 tells us that light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And again, most people won't admit that this is a barrier for them, and sometimes people are even unaware that this is the real issue. And in hindsight, Lee Robel was very aware of how great a barrier this had been uh, to him, and we 're going to watch a little clip of an interview that he did with Matt Brown that where he just kind of acknowledges uh, one of the things that really got in the way of his faith journey so we 're going to watch that
4: I married uh, pretty young uh, leslie uh, she 's um, i don 't know I guess you call her spiritually confused just didn 't understand how the pieces fit together, and we had a pretty happy marriage um, n- not that it was perfect. Um, because I was an atheist and I didn't have really a moral framework for my life, um, I concluded that the most logical way to live would be as a hedonist, someone who just pursued pleasure. So I lived a very immoral and drunken and profane and narcissistic uh, lifestyle, I mean, that was my world. But our marriage was pretty happy uh, until one day we met a neighbor who was a Christian, And uh, she shared Jesus with Leslie, and Leslie went to church with her and checked it out and came to me one day and said, I made a big decision. I've decided to become a Christian, which to me was the worst possible news. You know, as an atheist, it's like, ah, you know, first word that went through my mind was divorce.
2: He he was just really afraid about the change in, in their lifestyle, and we all know someone like that. They they just don't want to change. And I wish that, you know, there was some way to help them compare the costs and the benefits of their current lifestyle and what Jesus offers us, you know, the forgiveness, the peace of mind, the, the love, the the fellowship of uh, other Christians, the uh, meaning and purpose that Jesus brings to our life, that we're not just living for ourselves. We're living for something bigger than ourselves and and purposes that are, Uh, eternal and and then the promise of the hope of heaven so um, if this spiritual sticking point is something that you struggle with i I encourage you to weigh these things out play things out to their logical end when you get to the end of your life if you're just living for yourself are you going to look back and and see that you've wasted this time that god gave you on earth when you could have been using it for his purposes and his glory my experience and the experience of those who have given themselves fully for, to live for Christ is that nothing beats living for the unique purpose that God has given each of us. So then the second, uh, stick, or third sticking point is I don't know what to believe.
3: So I don't have to say that because you already did, right? Um, I don't know what to believe. Confusion. I'm not sure. So many voices out there, so many different people saying so many different things, it's hard to keep it all straight, right? Well, it's worse than that. How many rules does it take for you to have trouble with understanding what the rule is? One. One rule. That's all it takes for there to be confusion. Let's go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. How many rules did God give them? One. There's just this one Thing. Everything else is fine. Just this one. Make sure this is very clear. Just this one. Don't eat of that tree. That's all. That's it. Just, just the one. It's a simple rule. And then the snake came along, and did God say you can't eat from all the trees? And then Eve gets it wrong. Well, we can eat from all the trees except for that one. We can't eat from that one, and we can't touch it, or we're going to die. She changed the rule, and we can't touch it. Well, why does she put that in there? She was a little confused about the rule. And then the serpent said, surely you won't die. God knows that if you eat of that fruit, you'll become wise. You'll understand. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And Eve's like, well, gee, that would be nice. I'd be more like God that way because I would know something I don't know yet. She looked at the fruit. It looked good. It's going to make her wise. She's going to know more than she does now. And so she ate it. Now, guys, don't start pointing fingers. And she gave some to Adam who was with her. Who got the rule in the first place? Adam. Where was he? With her. He's listening to her be tempted, and he's not saying anything. And then when she invites him, he goes along. So only one rule, and we can be confused, okay? So this is a hard thing. Then we move on down to, um, in the New Testament... I wanted to give you the story of the rich young ruler. You kind of know that story, right? He comes to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get internal life? What do I got to do? I want to know the rule, okay? I want to be able to follow this. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? Oh, I don't know what to believe. Which ones? Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not give false testimony, honor your father or mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. They're here on the walls over the windows. Easy. And then he said, all these have I kept. What do I still lack? What else? He's confused. Okay, what do I need? What else is there? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Oh, I've done all that other stuff, but hmm. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus told him what to believe, and (coughs) he got to the point where, well, I just don't know if I can do that because you're asking a lot so we don't know what to believe there's a lot of different voices a lot of times it's like Peggy Peggy said you just don't want to I'm rich I like being rich I don't want to change that so um, find my place now when I started out there's a lot of different voices right We've got different translations of the Bible. We have different Christian groups that say different things. We got people who aren't Christian who say different things. We got people who mix up different religions and get it all confused. It's hard to know what should we believe. So, what do we do when we have trouble knowing what to believe? Huh. Pray, seek, ask, seek, knock. Um, Here we have another verse from Hebrews 11, 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Ask, seek, not. Now, your foundation needs to be the Bible, and you can look at all those other things and compare them and see how do they fit with what I read in the Bible. And remember, in the Bible... Be careful about taking one verse and saying, that's it, that's the whole key, that's right there. Because each verse is going to shed light on one aspect or one facet. The Bible's meant to be studied as an entire work. And one verse gives you some good insight about one piece. But you need to balance that with other verses and say, okay, now that I understand this and this, how do they fit together? And you need to kind of struggle through those sometimes. Um, But it's all in there if you seriously study. I'm getting there. Uh, I think that's all I had to say.
2: All right.
3: And if I turn the clock back, it's not even 10 o'clock. Yes, that's right. That
2: clock could be fast.
3: Hey, you invited me to do this, so.
2: All right. So the last point is I do believe isn't that enough? Have you ever met somebody who believes that God exists. They may even believe in the whole story of the Bible, that Jesus is God's son and that he's raised to life again. But but they aren't living their life for Jesus Christ. They don't ever go to worship him, and they feel like they're pretty good people, and that's enough. What we see in Scripture is that merely knowing this story isn't enough, that it's not enough to just understand. James 2.19 says, You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So it's not enough to have this intellectual head agreement. And I like the way that Forrest put it when we were discussing this at home. He said there's B uh, that's a little B, which is, you know, believing intellectually, you know, there must be a God. I look at all this and there must be a God that created it. I like the Christmas story and and I like the Easter bunny at Easter, that kind of thing, you know, that kind of belief. And then there's be, uh, belief with a capital B. You know, I get this. I believe it. I believe that Jesus died for me, that he uh, came for me, and I'm all in on this. And John one twelve tells us that all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God. So this believing and receiving go together. Romans six twenty three says the eternal life is a free gift. But if you think about a gift... Uh, You know, you can either leave it set on the table and never experience it, know what it is, uh, uh, have it be a part of your life, or you can open it and receive it and and begin to uh, enjoy the benefits of it. The Scripture talks about Jesus being both Savior and Lord. And there's a simple equation that we see in that passage from John 1.12 that is believe plus receive equals become. To, to become a child of God, you need both of these elements. You need to believe. You need to get yourself, work your way to it or whatever the evidence to, to believe um, that the things that you read in the Bible are true and that God is who he says he is. Um, you have this intellectual knowledge. But then you need to receive and um, the forgiveness and leadership of Jesus being Lord of your life. And so that's what we see the Ethiopian do. Uh, The story in Acts concludes with these verses. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, which must have been kind of weird. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So we learn from this passage of Scripture that, that uh, he was, had read the Scripture, had it explained to him, he believed it, and then he received it. And we can tell that from his response. He went ahead and gave, uh, uh, had Philip baptize him. And I wonder as we close today where you are in this journey of investigating the case for Christ. Is there a faith step that you still need to take? Maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. Or you haven't taken the step to be baptized. Or you haven't explored what faith really means for your life, to fully live as Jesus, uh, for Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Today's a great day to get past those sticking points. And if you've never received Jesus Christ uh, and the new life he comes to give, then I just invite you to pray this prayer with me today if you're ready to do that. Let's pray. Father, I don't know everything about you. None of us can uh, this side of heaven. But this much I believe. I'm, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I confess my sins and reach out to receive the free gift of forgiveness and forgiveness. Jesus purchased for me on the cross. I want to become your beloved child. Thank you for your grace. Now please fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead my life from this day forward. Amen.